This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 256 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. 100 long miles of Tevis. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are EquityMFG.com and Fleeceworks. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. I am Glenn the Geek. And I'm Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, hello, Helena. Hello, Glenn. How are you today? Good. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah. It's always good to talk to me. Yes, you look forward is. to this every week. I do. I do. And I have, we have a great uh, show planned for today. We have a good guest coming up. Her name is Karen Chatton. She's been on the show before. She's an endurance rider. And next week, she will be heading off to Tevis for the Tevis Cup. And that, of course, is one of the hardest 100-mile, one-day races in the country. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the Super Bowl of endurance here Dude, in the, yeah, in the United the, States. That's a big one. That's like the Boston Marathon. Yes, that's right. Yep. And uh, we're going to talk to her this time. We've, uh, we've had conversations about, with her before about being an endurance rider. Now we're going to talk to her this time about the preparations it takes to get ready for a ride like this, for a horse, for her, for her team. Uh, you know, it's really cool, too. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Everything involved. So we're going to talk to her a little bit later on, talk a lot about the Tevis. I have a product for us on the Tack and Habit segment. But before we get all of that, to all of that... I have a little list for you that I want to do today, and I think it's going to be fun. And I, you have to guess now, all right? Okay. Jennifer gave me this and said you'd have fun with it. Okay. So it's the 10 most downright ferocious, ill-tempered animals. Ill-tempered. Okay, that's, okay. that's important. Yep. Right. This is not people now, okay? We all know some of those. Well, they should is... be people. Human beings should be at the top of the list. And if it's not, true. I'm not playing your game. <laughs> But this is animals. This is the four-legged, mostly, animals. So um, so do you have any guesses of, uh, in the world what the most ill-tempered, ferocious animals are? Most ill-tempered. Okay, well, I'm going to start with um, uh, fisher cats. You know, fisher cats are not here. But I know what you're talking about, and they are not, they are not happy animals. Okay. So no fisher cats, no all right? No fisher cats. How about... Um, Some of them I was not surprised at. Some of them I was. I'll give you that clue. All right. Well, there's a lot of... Okay. How about gorillas? No. Oh, okay. They're well, I pick them enough, because... Apparently. <laughs> I pick them because they're as close to humans as... you know. Well, chips. <laughs> You're stuck on this human thing. Can you give me... I know, I know. Can you give me a clue? Well, I mean, well, there's a lot of mammals out well, there. Well, here. We'll start running down the list and we'll see if uh, this helps. So okay. number 10 on this list of most ferocious animals in the world is the sun bear. Okay, so first of all, something with the name of sun bear, doesn't it sound like something you'd see in a cartoon with a big smile, a bear with a big smile? Yeah, I'm not thinking ornery, but, but no, let's hear it. apparently okay. they are. Uh, while grizzly bear immediately comes to mind as the most ferocious and dangerous, that's not true. These are Chinese, they live in China, and they weigh just 65 kilograms and measure 1.5 meters in length. That's all. Okay, that I'm American. What's 65 kilograms in pounds? That's about 50 pounds, or, okay. or no, about 100 pounds, and, and about a yard and a half in length. So it's, it's the world's smallest bear species, but they're also the most ferocious, and they have the biggest teeth. 
So this little thing apparently will attack humans without provocation. Uh, and the number of fatal maulings. <laughs> I like it already. <laughs> the number of fatal maulings have occurred from animal considered to be some of the most dangerous in the jungle. They say if you see this thing, and it does look kind of like a bear, if you see this thing, you just get the hell out of there because it's, you're you're right. not going to have a good day. So there, sun bear in China. So if you're wandering around the jungles of China, keep that in mind. Two, you would expect, or number nine, you would expect on the list is the saltwater crocodile. You know, crocodiles, everybody knows that they're, they have the most powerful bite of any animal. Yeah, but are they really ornery? Like, you well, know, I know, Yes, alligators are not. Crocodiles are. Oh, okay. Okay, that's the, you got to remember that alligators are, are, you know, they won't go out of their way to attack you. Crocodiles will go out of their way to take you out of a boat, uh, to kill you, to large animals. Doesn't matter if anything's in their territory. They're they they your lunch. Okay, so, so it's a territorial thing. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And right. they're saltwater, so uh, they live in the like marshes along the oceans and stuff like that. Like mostly, the Everglades and yep. stuff. Mostly in Africa. We don't have too many here in uh, Africa and Asia. We don't have too many here in Florida. Thank God. Uh, we did go out. Uh, there's this place, a uh, state park near here, where we get, you can go actually walk there. You have a walkway through the state park, and it's all marsh swamp land, and you can see the alligators up close. And most of them are just hanging out, you know, just laying there, not doing okay. much. But you get within 10 feet of them, usually. It's a little nerve-wracking, to be honest with you. <laughs> have you done it? Have you yeah, been we within did 10 it feet? a couple weeks ago, and, <clears throat> and we saw a mama that had very obviously made a nest. Now, she was below the walkway that was sort of enclosed, so we were kind of glad about that, because yeah. I don't want a mad mama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be messing with her. <laughs> uh, the stinkiest, one of the stinkiest places I've ever been was that uh, state park above Gainesville that, with, the marsh, with the marshes there. It was... Stinkiest and smelliest. Sulfur smell. Yeah. Oh, my God, it was awful. Anyway, uh, number eight on the list is the least weasel, L-E-A-S-T weasel, the least weasel. Okay. It, it's a little weasel. looks like a ferret, actually. It looks just like a ferret, but it's the smallest carnivore. And just as the sun bear is the smallest, the most aggressive bear, the smallest carnivore is also the most ferocious hunter, pound for pound, weighing only a few ounces and measuring around 20 centimeters. That's about, what, 10 inches? Uh, it's unbelievably aggressive, hamster-sized, and it's <laughs> capable of killing a rabbit five times its own size. Holy cow! Yes, this little baby is nasty. And wow. there's a picture of it here killing a rabbit, and it is the size of the rabbit's ear. I mean, <laughs> it's small. Wow! It'll kill any small bird, amphibian, or mammal it encounters with a bone-crushing bite. That's a little creepy, I gotta say. Yeah, I know. That's a little creepy. It's a little creepy thing. Now the next one you would have never guessed. You ever heard of the taming of the shrew? I've heard of shrews. Well, the common shrew is number seven on the list. Okay. They resemble mice, but are in fact are related to hedgehogs as a member of, of that group. They distinguish themselves by their incredibly high metabolism, which gives them an extraordinarily high-strung and vicious disposition. Its name is shrew. You would think it would yeah. be like sort of drugged out, you know? <laughs> Marijuana well, that's where shrew type. comes from. That's where shrew comes from. I guess. Like, I mean, you, you know, when they say, oh, you're, she's such a shrew or the taming of the shrew, it's from that, right? What I didn't know is that they must eat constantly. It sounds not like me. And uh, <laughs> they must sustain themselves. So they savagely attack prey twice their own size, including mice, fish, and frogs. And they inject them venom when they bite. And it will, they'll, what? that makes the critter groggy. And then they kill them by crushing the base of their skull. All right, well, that's that's at least humane. That's a nasty little creature, the shrew. Who knew? But it's so humane. The they they knock them out before they kill them. I'm never I'm, going outside again is what all this I'm is good. No, down. you're not. I know. Between the bridges and the tunnels and the spiders <laughs> and the snakes. And the shrews. Why don't you just go go to Iceland? Okay, this one, this one I expected to be on the list. You hear a lot about them, and, and uh, they have what they determine as de demonic ferocity, and that's the wolverine. The name says it. I mean, it's a wolverine. It, they're in the movies, you know. Um, yeah. Of course, they're going to be nasty. So we'll go on. The and the, there's one snake on this list, the top ten, believe it or not, only one. And so this is the one you really don't want to meet up with, and we probably won't here because it's it's uh, found in Africa. Although they keep bringing the African snakes over to Florida, it seems like mm. um, is the black mamba, black mamba snake. Um, and it's 14 feet in length, uh, and that's all I really want to talk about, because it's pretty gross. I'm not talking about it. It's also, I will say this, it's one of the fastest serpents in the world. 
it can go 12 miles per hour. Wow. That's pretty fast, actually, when you think about it. I ride my bike at 12 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. The bull shark, you know, sharks we kind of expect. uh, But it's the bull shark, not the great white or the tiger shark that are the worst in the water. They're the most vicious fish on the planet, the bull shark. And they kind of have that stubby nose. Yep. I I think I knew that. Yep. 6,000 pounds of pressure in their bite. 6,000 pounds of pressure. I have that on a bad day. <laughs> yes, you do, actually. I think that comes with being Italian. Uh, yeah, or a female, <laughs> or both. Both. <laughs> Number three on the list is the Northern Goshawk, a red-eyed terror, it's called. Uh, it's a bird. It's the largest of the bird-eating forest hawks with a wingspan of four feet. It has fierce red eyes and gray feathers and massive talons. It's extremely territorial and presents a danger to anything pretty much in its, in its territory. It will swoop down and deliver scalp-ripping blows. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that'll take you through the day. Yeah, and yeah, even yeah. more disturbingly, it's always found, it's often uh, begins eating large prey such as ducks while they are still alive. It doesn't even kill them first. Oh, God. <laughs> this is oh. all. Now, th- I don't know where this is found. It really doesn't say. I hope it's not in the United States. For all you people who live where this is, God bless you and buy a gun. Uh, Number two is a gray wolf. I was surprised that the gray wolf was on the list. Are you? I am surprised that, yes. Because, yes, they're territorial, and I would call them aggressive. But I would not say that they were um, ornery. Well, I wouldn't say that they have a bad disposition. They made this list because they're pack animals, and they always attack in packs. So, if, But that's a hunting skill. That's not necessarily – I mean, I, all of these are hunting skills. These are, you know, these are animals that well, their behavior this is, the re- is, is okay. defined by – I was trying to avoid this, but I'll to- tell you. Okay. The reason that they're on this list and considered yeah. ver- ver- uh, vicious yeah. is because before they kill the animal, they like to tear pieces off. Their favorite thing to do is to tear parts off before they okay. actually kill it. There has to be some kind of evolutionary reason for that. <laughs> I don't it can't care. be that it they hurts. like it. It can't be that like, <laughs> oh, we like this. We're going to torture our food before we eat it. I mean, maybe there is. Maybe I, I'm should giving them more credit. Should put a warning before this segment? I should have put a warning. Uh, well, like they do wait a TV. minute. And, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. There is a possibility. It's remote, but there is a possibility that because I think gray wolves are cute and fuzzy and super yeah, cool, yeah. that I might be overlooking the fact that they could torment their food before they kill it. It's possible. Well, and you know, I'm never looking at the common true the same again. And then, the, <laughs> the, by the way, the gray wolves, there are some in America, not too many, but uh, they're mostly found in Russia. Um, number one on the list. We killed them all. <laughs> of the most dangerous animals in the world, the most vicious and the heartless animals in the world, you would never have guessed this in a hundred years. Is the wild boar? Yes, that I I have heard before. And we do have those down here. In we Florida. have them not too far from us, actually. In the forest, there's wild boar. And they hunt. They're hunted. Well, uh, and a matter, well, they're a matter of fact. There's no season. It's open hunting. If you see wild boar, you're allowed to kill them any time. Yeah. Uh, because they're not native. They're they they kind of you know pigs got loose and then through you know decades became the wild boars here in yes. uh, Florida. So Georgia well, has a ton of them. It's, and they are a problem. I mean, they're ruining people's properties and they're, they're really, and they're ornery and they're aggressive. I am not a person, if you've been listening to Stable School for any length of time, you may know that I'm not a fan of killing anything for recreation. I'm not. I, I, I don't mind hunting something, chasing it down, stunning it, capturing it, putting it in some, like, I don't know, a wildlife preserve. I just am not a fan of taking something's life purely for human recreation. Um, but that said, I can understand a little bit about how hunting has evolved, particularly like, what I don't want to call it fun- hunting, but riding out to hounds, because um, I know in Georgia that hunting boar is a big deal. And in some, like Alabama and some of the, um, some of the states in the middle part of the U- U.S., because the boar is so aggressive and they are such a problem, they're becoming more popular as quarry for mounted hunting. Did you know like, that they they can even one of them could bring down a deer? 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, they are really, truly nasty creatures. And they say, if you see them, don't, don't, don't engage they're, them. They're <laughs> don't not go, Here, nasty. piggy, piggy, piggy. They're just dangerous. <laughs> Again, nasty would be me when I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. But they do travel in packs also, which is another problem with them that they have. Now that I didn't know. Yeah, they also travel in packs. You'll, you'll always see them four or five at a time. Hmm. Yep. Yep. So there's your top 10 of the most vicious animals brought to you by listverse.com. So Well, that was entertaining. Thank, thank, you, thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, that was uh that was something you wanted to hear about today. Again, nobody's ever gone outside again. That's I know. We're all just going to stay here. <laughs> All right, let's get on with the show. Uh, we're going to take a break for Fleeceworks, one of our sponsors, with the terrific fleece pads that we all love here at the Horse Radio Network. And then we're going to come back and talk about the Tevis Cup. Fleeceworks manufactures pure Australian merino sheepskin and merino wool saddle pads and accessories. Their pads produce a vital thermal balancing layer to pull excess moisture and heat away from the horse's back, allowing muscles to work at maximum capacity without overheating. Fleeceworks Australian Merino Wool is breathable and hydrophilic, able to hold and store 35% of its own weight in liquid. A longtime staple of the medical field, Australian Merino fibers have no equal when it comes to delivering a temperature-controlled, pressure-absorbing layer. The Fleeceworks philosophy, minimum bulk, maximum performance, and they have a variety of anatomically correct pads incorporating technologies and designs that address the individual needs of every horse and rider. Ask for Fleeceworks saddle pads and accessories by name at your local tack and feed store or visit them online at fleeceworks.com. Well, before we get to Karen chatting, I want to give you some facts about Tevis, the Tevis Cup. Although we know it is the Tevis Cup, that's what we all call it, it actually's official name is the Western States Trail Ride. Makes it sound so peaceful and serene. It does. It does. <laughs> it makes it sound uncrazy. Yes, exactly. The ride has been held annually since 1955, except when it was canceled in 2008 due to wildfires in California. I remember that? We were on the air then. We talked about that. Uh, to successfully complete the ride, the riders must finish 100 miles in less than 24 hours. Riders begin the race at 5.15 a.m., and the first riders typically cross the finish line around 10 p.m. This finishing time That's includes nice. mandatory rest stops and vet checks throughout the course. They stop four or five times and, you know, do vet checks and all of that. Um, all riders who successfully complete the course and whose horses are judged to fit to continue at the end receive a completion award belt buckle. There's Tevis belt buckles. Um, let's see here. They come from all over the world. Last year we had riders from Japan, Australia, Canada, South Africa, Netherlands, United Arab Emirates, and United Kingdom. So they're expecting that again this year. The majority of the American riders, it's held, this, this is in California, so mm -hmm. are from California, which is no big surprise. Um, it, California has one of the highest populations of endurance riders. And then I think Florida might be next. There's a lot of them well, right around us. There's a lot of good um, territory. Open land, it? yeah. Yeah, geography. Yeah. And, and it's not just open, but it's rideable. You, you know, like it's hills. You have foothills of... Well, I don't know. Is this in the mountains? Mountains? Is yeah, this, like... this is craggly mountains. This is oh. this is serious up and down. I mean, up and down. Okay, so not so rideable. No, this is a Hence lot of the, the territories loose rocks and you know just crazy. All the stuff, <laughs> all the stuff we Easterners like freak out about. Yes, if you we saw some of these hills, you would be like, "I'm out of here." Trailer, we bubble wrap them. <laughs> hey. Bring the trailer around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see that country through a, through a horse trailer. I'll meet trail. you on the and other side. <laughs> the big kind with the living quarters and stuff. Yes. 84% of the Tevis Cup winners have been purebred Arabians. I guess no big surprise there. Another 11% were Arabian crosses. Two thoroughbred crosses and a Mustang are the only non-Arabians to ever win the Tevis Cup. Two thoroughbred crosses and a Mustang. Makes sense. There you go. And one thoroughbred cross and an Appaloosa and one mule have been awarded the Hagen Cup. And the Hagen Cup is awarded for those that they determine finished in the best condition at the end. The judges determine that. All yeah. endurance rides have that. Uh, so there you go. And they also have an Western States Endurance Run. So if you don't have a horse, uh, you can do the 100-mile run. Yeah. Well, now that you know a little bit about it, let's talk to one of the competitors in last year's race and this year's race and probably for the last uh, 20 years, Karen Chatton. She's been on our show before. She's an endurance rider and also well-known as a blogger. Her blog is EnduranceRideStuff.com. 
and she blogs about everything endurance rides, takes lots of pictures. Just look around her site. It's a lot of fun, and she is well-known in the endurance world for this blog, and we love to have her on because she's so much fun. We're going to talk to her today about the preparation in getting ready for a race like this. Well, hi, Karen, and welcome back to the Stable Scoop Show. It's so good to talk to you again. Well, thank you. It's great to be here and talk to you guys again. I love talking about horses. Well, and you love talking about your, your chosen sport of choice, and that's endurance riding and uh-huh. all, the, all the craziness that goes with that. Um, and that's what we want. Craziness, to, Glenn? Yeah, a little no. bit. I'm sorry. A hundred mi- and- miles over a mountains uh, and uh, through ravines is crazy. So I'm right. gonna, I'm sticking with that. Uh, well, there's a fi- they say there's a fine line between insanity, you know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, do you call it a little bit crazy? It is a little bit crazy, you know, and you wonder about it, you know, especially when you're out there and it's two or three or four in the morning and you're still riding your horse, looking up at the stars and the moon going, am I crazy? But then, (laughs) you know, once you achieve that, you know, you have the sense of accomplishment and the partnership with your horse and it makes it all worth it in the end. Mm. Well, now tell us that we're two weeks away from Tevis, and we've talked about Tevis here before, and every year we, we cover it. But this year, I thought with you we could do something a little bit different. And I, I've noticed on your blog, you had a post called uh-huh. Tevis Preparation. Here is a list of my lists. And that's why I thought this might be a good topic to talk about, is all the preparations that go into an incredible 100-mile ride like this. It's a little okay. more, more intense than some of the other disciplines. You have about twelve lists here that you uh, you put together for the, for the uh, for the ride. But what do you do? Let's start with the horse. What are you doing? You know, in the months in, uh, that lead up to this, and how many hundred mile rides can you do in a year? Well, you know, it just depends on. I mean, there's so many variables. I'd like to take things like one ride at a time. Bo, my horse that I'm picking on Tevis this year, he hasn't done a hundred since the Tevis last year. And part of that was I had some truck problems earlier this year, and so the timing just didn't work out. So what I did in the month of May, I took him on a 75 and used that as a good way to test him out, make sure he's good to go for a distance longer than 50 miles because he has done several of those in the last year. And he finished that ride um, doing an average of what I, my goal is to do on Tavis, and he finished up in fourth place and had high vet score. So I was really happy that that, you know, went the way it did. And so I, I know I'm confident going into this ride that he doesn't have any pre-existing issues or problems and that um, he was fit and strong to do a 75-miler and so I've got a lot of confidence in him this year that he'll be able to make it one more time. So what do you do in, when you're not doing the big ones, like the 75 and the 100? What's your average kind of ride just to stay, stay maintenance fit for him? Well, I do a lot of multi-day rides. Like the um, weekend before last, I did a local ride that was three days of 50s each day. And I alternated. I have two horses, Bo and Chief, and I alternated them. Bo did the first and the third day while Chief did the middle day. And that ride was really more just kind of a tune-up to keep him going, make sure every, everything's all going right. So we took, you know, we were a little more careful on that ride in how we rode. And he also came through that ride really well. And that puts him about a, that ride was about a month out from Tavis. And so now what I'm just focusing on is doing some heat training with him to make sure he's acclimated to dealing with the heat and the sweating, making him more efficient with that, and not doing a a lot more riding on him because I want him to be well-rested and not overworked when he does go to Tavis. Boy, in the heat this year, it's been hot as heck out there. Obviously, that is something that's a serious concern for you guys. Sure has been, and as soon as I'm done with this interview, it's going to be the hottest part of the day, and I'm going to go out and work in some more in the heat. And, and as a side benefit, it's getting me acclimated to dealing with the heat as well. And so, um, but you know, we're ha- the horse has a really good attitude. He's happy. Um, we're working him long enough so that he he gets sweaty every day. Um, I watch his recoveries. I'm checking his uh, temperature to make sure he's not getting too hot. But I'm also um, 
you know, adding extra electrolytes and salt to his feed so that um, he's adapted to the, to the sweating and dealing with the electrolyte balance. And um, he's doing really well. He's recovering super good and still, you know, I'm monitoring his attitude to make sure he still has a nice, positive, happy attitude. And um, so that's what we've been doing. There has to be an element of worry or anxiety for you in terms of keeping him sound or both of your horses, you know, for any competitive rider, you know, you have a particular event coming up, you're preparing for it and anything can happen. You know, you want to put him in bubble wrap <laughs> the week before exactly, the event. Exactly. You know, and, and we joke about the Tevis Gremlins because, <laughs> you know, you can plan all year long. And, and the thing with Tevis is everybody enters so early because as it gets closer to the ride, the entry fee goes up by like $100 like weeks ahead of the ride. So everybody sends their entries in early. And so it just seems like there's so much opportunity for the slightest little thing to go wrong. And of course, you know, then we're more paranoid about it and stuff. And so, you know, you just try to focus on, um, you know, making sure everything goes right, not overdoing it. You know, with Bo, he's a mischievous little horse, and he <laughs> moves things around when he gets bored. So it's a fine line between keeping him busy and occupied and not overworking him, but keeping him from getting into trouble. Well, now you... You talked. You mentioned yourself, and obviously, getting yourself in shape for for this many hours in a saddle is is something you have to consider too. Do you work out beside riding? Do you have a workout regimen that you do and diet and all that stuff? Um, you know, I I always trying. I call it my Tevis diet. I'm trying in the weeks leading up to the ride to just eat healthier. Um, I've been focusing all year on taking um, electrolytes for myself and. I'm able to um, keep myself hydrated well, and just mainly with all the riding I do, I stay fairly fit, you know, between the two horses, and I think that does help a lot. It really helps for the rider to take care of themselves first so that they're coherent enough to take care of the horse. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a catch-22. If we're not taking care of ourselves, then we're not going to be very good for our horses. We're not going to ride as well. We're not going to be, you know, as observant um, and aware. And so it's really important that the rider also takes care of themselves. And that's part of why I have a crew to help me to get through this ride so that they can also kind of look after me and my horse at each of the vet checks as we go through and, you know, I was thinking, uh, Helena, Helena and I love talking about uh, uh, tack and equipment and, and stuff. We do a segment on, on each show about a piece of tack uh -huh. or equipment. That's got to be so, so important is having well-fitting stuff uh, when you're doing this many hours in a saddle. Yes, well-fitting and clean. And the most, one of the most important rules is never try anything new at a ride. <laughs> so um, for the last couple of rides, I've ridden Bo in the tack that I'm going to ride him in on Tevis, the same saddle pad, the same girth, all the same fitting tack, and also the clothing for me as well to make sure my tights aren't going to rub or twist. You know, so you've got all those little things dialed in so that nothing comes up and causes a problem for you. And when you, so you've got all these, these things going on, there's like, you obviously uh -huh. have a lot of lists to keep yourself organized, which I absolutely love. At uh -huh. what point in your preparation or as the event gets closer, at what point do you start calling up your peers, your fellow riders and saying, and asking questions and double checking? And when do you really need that camaraderie? Is it when you get there or is it before? We've been doing that, you know, from the get-go, from the moment we fill out our applications. We're all talking with each other at rides or calling each other, texting. Of course, we're a lot of us on Facebook, you know, and, um, you know, like at all the rides, you walk around the camp. And that's what the topic is, is everybody's talking about Tevis. And, you know, some of the riders that have had the gremlins come and, you know, have something happen to them or their horse. So they've had to drop out. 
And um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's one of those things, it's one of the biggest events of the year and takes a lot of planning. So we're all discussing it kind of endlessly (laughs) to ask our spouses. (laughs) I I was looking at your your Ride Week agenda, and Tevis is not only the ride, but it's quite quite a party, too. I mean, they they try and do Uh a lot for you and to make it fun for you guys before and after. It is. It's an incredible event. I mean, there are up to over 700 volunteers, you know, plus their vet staff and all the ride management. And it's just, um, you know, it's it's great because I've been going to Tavis either crewing, riding, or volunteering for 20 years now. And so it's just a fun thing to go. Everybody kind of knows everybody. And there's a lot of camaraderie there. Everybody's there. You know, if you need any help, there's always lots of people to help. At what now? You're it's in two weeks, so you'll probably travel there. When will you actually arrive? How many well, days ahead? I'm really fortunate. I'm only about sixty-five miles from the start oh, wow. in Chucky, so I don't need to drive up there until Friday morning before the ride. Oh, that's which perfect. Which is really nice, and it's only my horse is only in the trailer for like an hour and a half. That's really nice. And, oh, yeah. And it, it is really nice because, you know, we've got this year, there's riders coming from seven countries. That, you know, of course, they're leasing horses. But we've got people coming from all over the United States and Canada bringing horses. And so, you know, some of them have already left um, to come oh, out wow. here to, to start pre-riding the trail and getting their horses acclimated to the conditions and stuff. You know, so I am really fortunate because I'm already kind of geographically located right here. And then when the event's over, even we ride the 100 miles from Truckee to Auburn, I'm still only two and a half or three hours to get back home again. I, I got it. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, speaking of back home again, part of your your pre-ride preparation has got to include, to some extent, your post-ride planning. Um, what are the, the top three things that you have to plan for for when you guys are done? Like, uh, what I'm the most interested in is what do you do for Bo the minute you cross the line and, and you start coming well, down it, from that it's ride? It's interesting. Um, Tavis, the vets do an excellent job of looking after our horses. And one of the things that they now do, once you finish and you pass your final vet check, you need to you need to bring your horse back an hour later after that for one more wellness check to make sure they're metabolically stable and that everything is still good. And so what we did last year when I finished is we just hung around in the stadium and put a lot of food in front of Bo. We got him cleaned up. We got his legs wrapped. And he didn't come up from air from eating that whole entire hour. <laughs> Bless his heart. That's I awesome. And so the, so, but it was great because then he didn't have to move around very much. He just stood there and ate and rested and refueled. And then we went and did our recheck and everything was good. And then we finally were able to be released and go back you know, and get him taken care of for the rest of the night. You, you know, pretty soon the sun's coming back up again. Um you know, but the main thing is post-ride, you know, you keep an eye out for anything that could possibly be going wrong or if the horse doesn't look or feel right. And if, if that's the case, you let the vets know right away. But, um, you know, I want to make sure my horse is eating well. I expect him to be resting and hopefully lying down a little bit. Um, I want him to, um, you know, look a little bit alert and interested in what's going on. And, um, you know, and then every few hours, take them for a walk, let them move around some more, and then also keep putting the food in and with um, extra electrolytes and stuff in it to help them recover. Right. Well, well I, I, I thought my wife was a list maker. I am looking at some <laughs> of the lists on your, and boy, talk about meticulous, and I guess you have to be, but I'm taking a look. You have a list for each one of the checkpoints. And uh-huh. you have them labeled. And so, Helena, there's a list for each checkpoint of what has to be at each checkpoint uh, along the way. This is mile uh-huh. 36 uh, called Robinson's. And I guess that might be the uh-huh. people that are helping you out. But uh, Yes, and that's a, that's a remote check for them to get to. So when I start at 5.15 in the morning from Truckee, they're also starting at 5 in the morning from Forest Hill to drive over to Robinson's and haul all my crew stuff in. 
Well, let's go. Oh, it's a really, let's really go over some of the things that are in everyone. here because they're kind of fun. Um, okay. You got the crew bag. This is for the horse. You got one flake of hay, a baggie of senior, a baggie of bran, a baggie of strategy, one bag of carrots. And oh, by the way, down here in the instructions, it act, this is so meticulous. It actually says break carrots into small pieces. So uh-huh. uh, two apples, your yeah, first aid kits, all that choke. stuff. But you then you, the last thing you want is to have a horse choke because he sucks a full carrot. That's up. true. That's true. <laughs> I just love that it's all in here. Um, and then uh-huh. uh, down below, you have for you two, four bottles of water, two packets of Propel, an egg salad sandwich, and a peanut butter and jelly. Yum! <laughs> 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 that would totally be in my pack. Well, I, well, I do both because, you know, that's the thing on a ride like that. You don't really know what you're going to want. You might get there and the egg salad sounds awful yeah. or it might be the best thing you've ever had. Well, and, <laughs> So and you like to have a couple of things to fall back on. You do have yeah. a banana and yogurt, too. So, um, uh-huh. yeah. And so I can understand. I, can imagine, right I guess it depends whether it's pouring down rain all day. You get there. You don't want, you know, you don't want something. You want something else, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. And what her body's making use of. I mean, she's got protein. She's got peanut butter. She's got eggs. She's got some sugar in there. You got some carbs. Uh-huh. A little fat in the and mayo. Some elect- uh, and some electrolytes. Yeah. This is in the, mm-hmm. the instructions are just go on and on about and very detailed. I'm impressed. I'm I'm just telling you I'm impressed. <laughs> okay. Well, I know my crew appreciates having everything written down. You know, and I put this all in a binder and give it to them. So while they're sitting there waiting for me to finally get there, because, you know, crewing is like hurry up and wait, you know, they have, they can look that over and, and see what the instructions say to do and, and stuff like that. And so, um, but the crews have fun too. It's a social event for them as, as well. So they're not all drunk by the time you get there? You're, you're okay? No, no, because okay. that checks through in the morning. It's still before lunch. Okay. <laughs> So now the later one, there's you know all bets are off because different um, story, different story. Yeah, for Hills, different story. It's later in the afternoon, and um, you know everyone they're probably starting to get a little bit tired, you know, just in sun weary from being outside all day long. <laughs> That's funny. Now, do you change clothes? Do you wear the same outfit all day, or you know? Last year, I changed. I actually took a quick shower at Forest Hill. We had my, my living quarter trailer there and changed into all new clothes, and it was just wonderful. It felt terrific to be heading out, you know, for the last, you know, third of the ride, in the, mostly in the dark, and have all, be all clean and have clean clothes on. That was just wonderful. I bet. Because it's dusty, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's California. It is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you're sharing the trail with all those other horses. And so, yeah, it gets really dusty. We all come in with raccoon eyes. Oh. And do you wear one of those big hats that covers the front and the back? Um, I do. It's called a debrim, and it goes on my helmet. And um, it's nice and wide. It covers the back of my neck to keep the sun off. I take it off when I head out on the last part in the dark just because um, we're in a lot of tree cover with branches and you can't see real well, and I don't need it then either because it's right. a really it's a sun visor. But it's really nice to keep the sun off. Do you ever run into problems with bugs? Um, yes. In fact, on the last ride, I did both of my horses on um, each of the days when I rode them. They both were stunned by those meat-eating bees, the ones that repeatedly sting. Oh my uh. God. And, um, yeah, so I actually, funny you mentioned that, I just brought a brand new thing of, like, the cutter pump spray that's for humans. And so when I leave the checks or I'm at the checks, one of the things I'll do is I'll spray that under, on my horse's underside and um, around his back legs and stuff, and that helps. Plus, keeping the horse sponged and cleaned off frequently also makes them less appealing to the bugs. Sure. Wow. And how about snakes and bears? Just that. Um, you know, there are, they are in that area. Um, you know, um, the bears probably being with, there's that many people between the horses. They're out of there. And and all the volunteers, they're probably out of there. Um, you know, the snakes, hopefully you just leave them be and they'll leave you be. (laughs) So, but, but they are out there. Do you ever see spectators, human spectators along the way? Yes. Um, yes, there's. 
Um, like when you come into the Forest Hill check, it's, it's like 67 miles or so into the ride. That whole street coming in is usually just lined between the crews and the spectators and visitors to come out and watch. And it's really kind of fun. The horses, you know, last year I know Bo was, I mean, you could tell he thought he was really something when he came in and everyone was clapping and cheering. That's awesome. He's got his chin up. Yeah, he thought that was the coolest thing. And I think the horses know that there's something special when they come in there and they're getting all those cheers and claps. It's, It's a neat feeling. Oh, like Bo's like a rock star now. I have this, this, he's, he's been endeared to me. For, he's got a rock star name. Oh, he's just, it just, it makes me really, um, the story is great. It makes me really feel for him and for you and uh-huh. understanding how much preparation goes into this and how much consideration uh-huh. yeah, that you have for him. Like, you know, a lot of people uh-huh. are in the competitive sports for themselves and, you know, uh-huh. you tend to forget you have to check on the well-being of your horse, but there's so much consideration for from you for Bo. It, it makes me really, yeah. really, I feel connected to you guys as a team. Oh, thanks. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. He's a fun horse to ride. And, um, you know, I've really come to trust him. Like last year when I did the Tavis, I, I felt more confident on him from the first time I did it. So I was able to let him trot in the dark which, you know, it took me a while to gain the confidence just because it's narrow with switchbacks and I can't see. So I'm trusting him just, you know, entirely. To And it was just like an e-ticket ride. I mean, he just trotted. We hit a switchback turn, and he would just make that turn and keep on going just like it was nothing. And it was just, you know, it was the kind of thing that really makes you know, makes you appreciate that relationship you have with your horse. At least I do with Bo. Hmm. Interesting. Well, this, we wish you the best of luck. We hope that, uh, we hope that we see you on the leaderboard. Uh, okay. Well, thanks. Here. And the, the webcast, um, is at teviscup.org and the writer list is published. I'm number 80. And if you type that in when you go to the website during the event, it'll show the checkpoints that we've been to so far and if we're in and out and the times and stuff. So you can follow the progress of all the riders on the ride. Oh, and cool. I know there's 163 entered. Wow. Very good. Well, we'll be watching. Yeah. Good luck. Okay. Good luck to you and Bo. All right. Well, thank you been raving about the Equity Flex and Fork and Shake and Fork for months now, and some of you might be saying they are just saying all those nice things because they are getting paid to. Well then, let's hear from some other people about what they think. Here is Flex and Fork user Eric Bates, Pasifino owner from Kentucky, on their sturdiness. I've been using the Flex and Fork for almost a year now. I looked it up on the internet as being a quality-made fork, and that's what I was looking for. I had already replaced two or three, you know, the manure forks that you would get at a farm supply store, and I wanted something of, of good quality that would last, and this, this has just been more than I could ever ask for. With the shaken fork, you save time and money by just using this motorized fork every day. Here is Leslie from Horse Nation on how much bedding she is saving using the shaken fork. It really does. It, it um, helps you sift through, you know, so you're not throwing out as much. I think uh, uh, Equity says that it, the forks um, probably save you a dollar a stall uh, per day in, in between bedding saved and labor, you know, uh, time you're saving, and, and I, I believe them for sure. Okay, you've heard them. It's not just Jamie and I saying this. What are you waiting for? Go to EquityMFG.com and get yours today. EquityMFG.com. You will thank us every single day. Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom, a new media marketing company for small business owners. If you own a small business, check out sparkleandboom.com. They can help you make the most of your marketing to find some boom in your bottom line. <laughs> some boom in your bottom? Boom in your bottom <laughs> line. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> I kind of want to leave boom in your bottom because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Sparkling boom. We put oh. boom in your bottom. There oh, you go. <laughs> that's totally going to be the new tagline. Wait for it. It's Are coming. we marketers or what? <laughs> You know, Can we, always... we just talk about today's tack and habit item, please? Because it's pretty cool. You're fired. I can't go beyond that. I'm done. It's <laughs> pretty good. The day's Boom over now. <laughs> this could be its own blooper reel. One show. All right, I'll do my product. Now. All right. This is good. This good company by the name of Noble Equine sent us a bunch of products to review. They're never going to send us anything again. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Noble Equine. Oh, All right. So Noble Equine sent us these products to we review. We need to change the title of this week's show. <laughs> What's the boom? We're doing boom it. in we your bottom. To. Well, that could apply to a rider who stays in the saddle for 15 hours, too. We're doing it. Yeah. All right. Okay. okay, so this product uh, from Noble Equine, and you know, we don't review products so that uh, when we review a product, we tell you what we really think of it. And I have been the one that in the, in the past has reviewed hoof picks. And because, you know, it's uh, something that us horse husbands, we're allowed to do is pick the feet. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we're encouraged to pick the feet. <laughs> so this is the ultimate horse husband hoof pick. Are you ready? It's the yep. Noble Equine 5 o'clock hoof pick. And why is it called that? Because on one hand, end, it has the handy, super strong hoof pick part. And at the other end, it has a bottle opener. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Yes, Ew. you can drink beer while picking the hooves there, guys. So, I don't yes. know that I would want to open something that's going to touch my mouth with a, with a hoof pick. <laughs> See, that's why it's a guy's product. We don't care. Yeah, you so, do. Okay. So this is, I, I never even thought of that. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, well, wait a minute. I should really be talking because I'm the one who comes in from the barn with like, yeah, like you're barely in poop. And then I, and I, yeah, and then I make like a lunch, an egg salad sandwich. Yes, that's right. You don't change your clothes. You wash your hands, maybe, maybe, but you don't maybe. change your clothes. If so. I have time. It's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I just rub them off on my dirty jeans. I'm okay. <laughs> we fine. How many times have we all eaten in the barn and haven't even washed our hands? Come on. But you know real. what's funny is if I go to the mall, I will put hand sanitizer. No, no, I will scrub exactly. my hands. My people are dirty. It's down with people day apparently. Horses aren't dirty at all. No, no, yeah, not no. horses. Anyway, this. This is a it's a it's about six uh, seven inches long I would say, and it has a wonderful grip on it. I really like the grip. One of the problems I have with a lot of the hoof picks that are out there, you know, the ones that have little brushes and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. then the regular cheapy you know ones have the plastic coating on them. Yeah, is that the grip is too small for my big hand. This one, whether oh. you have small hands or big hands, the grip is great because it's ergonomically designed. So it's fatter in the middle and, you know, skinnier on the edges. So when, I, when I've been using it this week, uh, uh, Jennifer's been a happy chest and had to pick hooves all week. So I've been using this on Beaker all week. The one thing I like is a lot of times with those cheapy plastic ones with the brushes, mm-hmm. the part that picks your hooves bends. You can bend it with your hand. Wow. So the first thing I did when I got this one out is I tried to bend it and I couldn't bend it at all. I mean, I don't know what it's made out of, but it is strong. And I've been using it all week. It hasn't budged at all. The, it's a polymer ki- kind of uh, handle, but one of the things they did is they put this sort of sticky, grippy stuff on it so it doesn't slip in your hand either, uh, which I really like. Um, mm. And then, because you can open beer with it, it's just an added bonus right there. But you don't drink beer. I don't. Um, but I did open some bottles of wine coolers with it. I opened some oh, wine okay. coolers with it. Okay. Now, a lot of them have the screw tops now, so probably this is a, isn't as important, but I don't know how many times I've tried to open those darn screw tops on wine coolers and couldn't get them open either. Maybe so, because you had too many wine coolers. Yes, probably. <laughs> but it really does work. It's a cool gift idea for the horse husbands in your life or okay. the drinker. Either one, you know, the horse wives that are drinkers. So I just think it's a great hoof pick, too. And it's just fun. Terrific stocking stuffer for Christmas time. This is perfect for that. Or a gift for for birthdays or whatever. It's just a classy, classy hoof pick. I absolutely like it. It's $11.99, so it's gift priced. 
and uh, it's it it meets my horse husband approval. It gets the stamp of a horse husband right there. All right, wow, a simple little product, but does so much. <laughs> Okay, Glenn. You can find them at nobleequine.com. Nobleequine.com. And if you go over and buy one, please tell them you heard about it on the Stable Scoop show that Helena and Glenn loved it. I loved it. Helena hasn't seen it, but I liked it. Okay. And you you tested it and used it. I used it all week. Yep. I haven't had any problems with it. I got it right here on my desk. Right here. Hoof pick. Yep. It's approved. I stepped on it. I dropped it. I threw it against the wall once, seriously, because I wanted to test it, and it and nothing, not even a mark. Okay. So that's it. That's my product, nobleequine.com. Nobleequine.com, and it was the, or not was, it still is. It is. It's, it's not dead. It's <laughs> the 5 o'clock hoof pick, pick for 11 I tried to kill it. It's still alive. <laughs> you tried to kill it at 439, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> Made it till 5 o'clock. We're good. 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Well, that's it, Helena. Let's call it a week. Oh, please, let's do. a lot of do. shows this week, so I'm ready to call it a week. Yeah, but we'll be back next week. Well, wait, we've got Log On next Friday. Remember, we're here every Friday. You can find all of our episodes at stablescoop.com. You know where we like to hear from you the most? On Facebook, because we can talk back. Just do a search on Stable Scoop. Uh, you can send us email. You can send us hate mail, but send that to Glenn. Send your love mail to me, <laughs> Helena at horseradionetwork.com. And you know what? We absolutely love our sponsors. We thank them from the bottom of our hearts because without them, this show would not be possible. EquityMFG.com and the best fleece pads in the business at fleeceworks.com. See you next week, Helena. See you then. Happy scooping. Yeah, I know. I forgot it. You got me all screwed up (laughs) with the shrews. (laughs) Nasty little creatures. Yeah. And by the way, if you send hate mail to Helena, um, she will probably change her hunting policy. So I wouldn't do that. Just send us to me. Just saying. She will I'll change my hunting policy? What do you mean? She'll go hunting if you send her hate mail. So don't do that. She'll be hunting for you. you I will be hunting for you. (laughs) That's right. With a bow and arrow. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Good at hunting people. (laughs) Have a great weekend.